As anybody who's worked in middle management can attest, me included, it's one of the hardest jobs you'll ever have. Too often, we take middle management for granted, but organizations that learn how to better support middle managers can leverage their power and expertise to do a lot of good. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 650. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you to discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. You know, we all, many of us in our organizations, have a a group of people called middle managers. They're an important and key part of how an organization runs. And yet, when we think about the term middle management, it's a term that isn't one that many of us aspire to or like to identify as. And today, a conversation on how we think about reframing that term and the power that middle managers have and what senior leaders can do to better leverage so much of that power and talent in our organizations. I am so glad to welcome Emily Field to the show. She is a partner at McKinsey & Company. She works with leaders to shape data-driven organizational strategies designed to achieve business objectives, establish talent management as a distinctive advantage, and secure the human resources function as a driver of business value. Since joining McKinsey in 2017, Emily has worked with companies across industries, leading initiatives to transform the way organizations work. She puts particular emphasis on helping to establish a talent-first approach, instilling a high-performance culture, and adopting effective people analytics approaches. She prepares leaders to manage the workforce of the future. Emily also volunteers as a mentor to veterans and low-income students through her work with Capital Partners for Education and American Corporate Partners. And she's the co-author, along with Bill Saninger and Brian Hancock, of Power to the Middle, Why Managers Hold the Keys to the Future of Work. Emily, what a pleasure to have you with us. Dave, it's great to be with you. I was thinking about your work, the research on middle managers, in the context of a conversation I had just a week ago with someone who said, I really enjoy being a middle manager and I don't aspire to go any further. I love this work and I love the talent development I get to do and the coaching that I get to do. And I came away from that conversation with two thoughts. I thought, wow, super cool for someone to like show up with that attitude about their work. And I also had the competing thought of, And the reason I remember this conversation is because you so rarely hear that. You don't hear someone say like, wow, I'm really enjoying the role of middle management. It's one of these terms that we've really just not (laughs) embraced in our society in the last few decades, have we? That's exactly right. And I mean, that's one of the reasons we wrote this book, right? We think about it, middle managers, they're often called the permafrost layer, the clay layer, nothing can permeate through, right? You hear business executives say, that's a great idea. I wish I could do it, but it's going to die on the vine with our middle managers, right? We have not set up middle managers for success. And then importantly too, right? Career paths in organizations these days paint middle management as sort of this way station, this necessary pass-through point on the way to executive leadership. Instead of saying, 
wait a minute, how can this role really be a destination role? How can we empower these people? How can we get the right folks into these roles? Because they have disproportionate value, right? If you think about it, one, people, the the old adage of, hey, people don't quit organizations, they quit bosses. So true. And two, about 70 to 75% of an individual employee's satisfaction at work is determined by their boss. That has huge implications, right? On their outcomes, right? Their personal well-being. I, I might say you can't afford to not get the right middle managers. That person you spoke to who said, Hey, I want to be here into those roles. Yeah. And that really reminds me of something you point out a bunch in the book and in your research that there's this reality in a lot of organizations of the uh, player coach model of management. I, I actually had a firm years ago that I supported when I worked at Dale Carnegie who they used the term working manager that managers had sort of their management hat that they would wear, but they still had the work of an individual contributor. And I didn't really think about this until reading the book, but the irony in that term, <laughs> working manager, like the assumption the that the like, managers don't work. Yeah, exactly. Like what's not like there's management and then there's real work, right? Like there's the real work of like getting stuff done. And I thought it was interesting. I mean, you cite that managers say they spend more time on individual contributor work than any other kind of work. And there's almost a there's a trust aspect here. It's it's like organizations and senior leaders saying that, well, I don't fully trust you're going to be a manager and like really help develop the team. So you better do some quote unquote real work on the side. And it's interesting how pervasive that that thinking and that structure is. Yeah, and it's really interesting, Dave. I'm not opposed to managers doing individual contributor work, right? In our research, what we found, we did a time study of middle managers and middle managers reported about a day and a half a week on individual contributor tasks. We could debate the number. It's also not one size fits all, right? Depending on what type of manager you are, your span, your purview. I think what matters most though is are managers focused on the individual contributor work that they uniquely can do, right? Mm. If we're being honest, you know, ask yourself, are you doing work that your team should be doing? Maybe you had a direct report who quit during the great resignation and cost pressures meant you didn't hire someone new. And so did you just pick up their tasks? Or did you, are you in a situation where you say, hey, my folks are super under-apprenticed because We're just catching up to a couple of years of underinvestment in our talent during the pandemic. And I'm doing the work because I think it's faster to do it myself, right? Don't do that, right? That is not a great use of of a manager's time. And actually, it creates a risk to their people and the organization. But are they focused on what I would call the optimal individual contributor work for a manager? Are they knitting together the story across multiple work streams? Are they looking ahead and seeing around corners, right? That's really valuable work. And you could say, hey, that's uniquely the role of the manager. But the problem is, is that too often managers spend way too much time on the individual contributor task. And then you ask why? Well, managers, like humans in general, are pretty rational people, right? What 
is rewarded is where you focus. And managers oftentimes are much more rewarded for their contributions, what they deliver, and not sufficiently rewarded and measured on how they deliver, on their people outcomes. And that's really where we, if we say, hey, red light on people leadership, this needs to be the number one focus of a manager's job, then you'd believe, hey, we can't afford to not measure it. Yeah. And I so appreciate you making that distinction because it isn't really about an hours thing or an either or like so many things. It's a it's a both and it's how do we think about that work and what is the kind of work that's actually being done? And I I think this so much of this in thinking about the book and thinking about middle managers is a big thing about mindset. And one of the things you mentioned earlier and one of the invitations for senior leaders and cultures as a whole in an organization is is thinking about the mindset that we tend to have about middle managers of it being a, like you said earlier, like a waypoint versus a destination. And that the tendency we have is that if someone's really good at managing people, we promote them out of that role and move them into executive leadership. And part of what I hear you saying in the research is like, that's not, yeah, there are times to do that, but that's not always the best default answer in an organization, is it? That's exactly right. And also, Dave, even a step ahead of that is, hey, who do you promote to managers? Do you take your best salesperson, your best coder, right? Your best teacher and say, hey, let's make them, let's make them a manager, right? Or do you say, let's get really clear on the selection, both the traits and the skills. And also say, you know, with that first ascent to management, does somebody want to be a manager, right? Too often, when we ask people, do you want to be a manager? They say, no, or not sure. Then we say, hey, do you think you have to be a manager to make more money, to advance in your organization? Almost universally, people say yes. Mm. And then we say, of those folks that said, hey, I don't want to be a manager, we ask, so are you going to pursue the management route? And the answer is, yeah, right? And so it actually starts there. And, and so it's actually thinking about what is the not career path, but career paths that an organization can have. And how do we make sure we've got our rock star individual contributors and they've got a path, right? They've got a rocket ship to the top based on their knowledge expertise, right? Based on their contribution. Then who do we think about are those uniquely suited managers, right? They sort of impact multipliers. They coach their people. They help people achieve more than they ever thought possible. And then let's keep them there and let's reward them. Let's give them larger scopes. Let's help put them on the hardest challenges. But let's not say, hey, once you've nailed people leadership, let's take you out of it, right? Yeah. And uh, the distinction I'm hearing is rather than promoting the best middle managers out of the role is to promote within it by looking for the next opportunity, rewarding pay and incentives that align with that, that traditionally only come if you move into the next role. But how can we do a better job of like, if someone's doing that job well and is loving it and having good results, what a great thing if we can provide a path for them to really stay there as a destination for their career. That's exactly right. The other thing that I think really came up for me in thinking about middle managers is that they understand 
more than anybody else in the organization how to get the best out of workers. And that just keeps coming back to me in a theme of so much of of your work that this is where often the the knowledge, the perspective, the relationships are that are really helpful for senior leadership to learn from versus making decisions without the involvement of of middle management. That's exactly right. And I think in some ways, right, the pandemic showed us the the critical role of managers. Who makes it happen, right? Who quickly rallies their people, get folks on board? It's not top-down edict, right? Maybe it starts there, maybe. But it's actually about the manager who knows their people, right? who knows their people's strengths, who also knows what needs to happen. But too often, right, the decisions are stripped away, right? They just bubble up to the top time and time again. And managers are left sort of being the, you know, escalator of decisions and the disseminator of information. Well, no wonder people feel like, what what are they doing with all of their time? Because we're not using the most effective use of their resources. Yeah, indeed. I want to ask you about two phrases that um, come up in the book. And there's the invitation for senior leaders, especially, to utilize middle managers to rebundle jobs and redistribute talent. And I was thinking about those terms, rebundle jobs and redistribute talent, because that's becoming more and more relevant today. Could you tell us a bit about those those phrases, what they mean, and what's important about that to think of when we're thinking about middle management? Absolutely. When we think about this idea of the rebundling jobs, right? Think about it. If we even think about Gen AI, right? About... 90% of knowledge jobs can be 10% automated by Gen AI. About 50% of jobs can be um, 20% automated, right? These are comp- jobs are compilations of tasks at the end of the day, right? And so we're not thinking about a world where many wholesale, like full jobs are automated. We're talking about tasks evolving. Therefore, we actually have to say one, how do we rebundle jobs? Also known as how do you take a look at the tasks and say, how do the tasks fit together to drive outcomes? And then also think about who are the best people to do those jobs? And so especially given, you know, advancements in automation and technology, this is not a one-time thing. This isn't always on sensing, right? What is the work to be done? What's best done by machine? What can and should people be doing. And then also as parts of their jobs, not their full jobs, become automated, what's out? What else? Right? What's next? The managers in the action with their teams, they know, they see that, right? Better than anybody. And so giving them the power, but also frankly, the responsibility and importantly, the capabilities to be able to do that great rebundling is so important. So often that decision is made and discussed at the executive levels and work is redefined, jobs are redefined, and there is little, if any, input from middle management on what that's going to look like. And I mean, it, in a way, it's so obvious, but like bringing middle management into that conversation, if not leading it, of 
because they know <laughs> they know the people, they know the work. I love there's a story in the book about a employee working in a grocery store and how the middle manager like really thinks about the different talents as like like so many retail places establishments are changing what talent looks like and how do we utilize cashiers and all of those things with technology and it, it, it's fascinating like when you take the time to actually do that and just have that mindset there's some wonderful incredible ideas that come out of great middle managers we just don't think to do that very often yeah, you know, there's another example in the book about senior leaders not knowing why they had awful engagement, terrible morale, high attrition on oil rigs. And they were throwing money at the problem. They were saying, let's give them bonuses. Let's do every survey under the book and let's try to do the analysis to say what's happening. They actually took quite some time before they said, Huh, maybe we should go ask managers what they think is going on. Mm. Well, you know, they'd been sending these retention bonuses to no avail when they actually got some managers together and said, hey, what do you think? You know, think about it on an oil rig in a remote location away from your family. What do they want? And a manager said, hey, we'd really love a bigger freezer so that we can store our home-cooked meals from our family. Whoa. Buying some freezers, do you know how much money this would have saved the executives if they had just taken a moment to ask? Yeah, it, it comes back so much to the mindset. Like that's the kind of thing, if your mindset is to engage and for the middle, for you to view as an executive, a senior leader, the middle manager of holding so much of the knowledge the culture, the relationships of the organization, and the knowledge about where talent is in the organization. Like, if you have that mindset as an executive, you get there way faster than you do of like before you try everything else out and don't think to engage in that conversation. And speaking of mindset and resources, one of the other things that I thought was interesting that you uncover is that so many, even today, as much as we know about the importance of leadership development, or maybe we don't, which we could talk about, but so many training dollars go into new hire orientation, compliance, new product rollouts, as they should, right? Those are really important things. But it's interesting how that there's a really big delta between those things and management development in a lot of organizations. What does that delta look like from your research? Yeah, it's such a mess. If I, you know, if I could make sort of one change in organizations, I'd encourage leaders to think about the manager experience. We often talk about the employee experience, but how often do we think about managers? Think about it for a moment, right? 90%, approximately, give or take, right? 90% of people in an organization roll up to managers. Well, then that makes managers really critical change agents, catalysts for good. Or if we don't appropriately empower, develop, resource them, right, things die on the vine. And so I think organizations have to think about their managers as their DevOps. They're the people that get it done. And then they have to build the capabilities. I also think it's really important, though, especially to the point I made earlier on manager well-being and the incredibly high burnout is one. You got to change the way the work gets done, right? This isn't about just saying, hey, let's go send managers to training and voila, they're, the, they're suddenly these new age managers. 
This is about one, rethinking about the role of the manager, right? What are managers mandated to do? What are they held accountable for? How do we develop and support them against what being a great manager looks like? And not once a year or at when they get promoted, but actually saying, how are we doing it in the flow of work? How are we coaching, apprenticing, developing our people to be able to drive the outcomes? And then how are we really celebrating the successes and tapping into their strengths? I think this notion that we send people, you're right, you know, we do underinvest in manager capabilities, but I also think it's about saying it's not a one and done. This is about always on learning. Yeah. And I love the question that you, you highlighted a moment ago, and it's repeated in the book of what do we want middle managers to be doing in our organization? And it's interesting in some ways, that's such a simple and obvious question. We don't often stop, especially senior leaders don't often stop and actually think about that. Like, okay, what do we really want uh, a senior manager or a manager of a team or director doing with their time in this organization? Like, what are their outcomes? And it's interesting, like, we tend to define that better, I think, at some of the frontline roles. Like, what does the job description look like? But I, I think when we get further along in the hierarchy of the organization, we tend to not do as good a job defining this. And like just asking that question is a really helpful starting point. You're so right. And I honestly, as you were talking, was thinking about too, hey, at the very top, you have a pretty clear mandate, right? You know, from the board, right? And then for the executive team, you have a pretty clear mandate of what what the priorities are within your vertical, what the cross-functional priorities are. And then it just starts to unravel at the middle manager layer where you become the catch-all for all the things in addition to what's written in your job description. And really rethinking what is the role? What are they responsible for? And then saying, how do we make that where they spend their time? I think is absolutely critical, right? The people leadership piece, right, is absolutely critical. You cannot, and for everyone listening, please do not, right, outsource people leadership to HR. Do not expect someone else to be giving the feedback. That is your responsibility. And too often, it becomes an afterthought, not because managers are ill-willed, not because they don't want to take care of their teams, but actually because there's just so much on the overflowing manager plate and they have to focus on what they're being rewarded for. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because I was thinking of a conversation I had with one of our listeners in the last couple of weeks. And there was a situation where they were given feedback to an employee and it had become a more complex situation where a performance plan was going to be involved. And the manager, just kind of the first thought was just kind of to throw it over to the fence to HR. Like, okay, HR is going to handle this. Let me defer it to them. And they're going to like give the feedback and handle the whole situation. And at first glance, like you think about that, objectively and think, well, that really the manager should be doing, especially that early feedback and that coaching and deciding like what is going to happen as the next step. But when I think about it more holistically, the reason they did it is because in that person's organization, results are producing results for the organization and hours and numbers and sales. It's not the results as far as retention. 
and talent development. And I think like one of the other things I I, I hear from you and Bill and Brian is that this is part of the other mindset change for executive leaders, especially too, is thinking about how do you evaluate middle managers? Are you saying one thing, but actually evaluating just on on numbers and performance and, and really kind of forgetting about this important talent management piece too? That's exactly right. And really helping leaders, helping managers understand what that role is and developing their capabilities to be able to do it. This has a huge element too on diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? What we know is that people are less likely to give development feedback to people who don't look like them. Well, what that means is women, people of color are less likely to get feedback from managers who are disproportionately men, white men to be specific. And so we really have to help managers understand what their responsibility is, how they check their unconscious biases, how they develop their people, because they should be developing an organization where there's promotion parity, where all people are developed and there's equitable outcomes. But that doesn't happen by chance. Yeah, indeed. When you're working with senior leaders, I know so much of your work is like coming into organizations and helping senior leaders to reframe what they're doing and and to l- leverage the power so much in their organizations. And they're in the mindset like we've talked about of like okay, middle management is is, you know, middle management and what do you find is helpful for the for the organizations that are able to change, the senior leaders that are able to like start rethinking this a bit. What is it that gets them there? What do you see that works? Yeah. Well, oftentimes it starts with a real sort of wake up call of who can set the tone, who can change this dynamic, who can thaw this so-called permafrost, right? It actually starts with the management team. And so helping them understand that they are absolutely critical in making this happen is step number one. I think step two for organizations that really unlock the manager It's about saying, let's understand the lived experience of managers. What have we done to them, right? I like to think of it as saying, hey, let's take the leadership team through the plight of the manager. And then Mm. importantly, one, change the way the work gets done. And two, evolve the role of the manager to support it, right? This can't be adding more things to the manager's plate. We can't spend time. They're at capacity. It has to be about actually changing the way we do things. In the book, we tell the story of a CEO named Fred. And Fred could be any number of CEOs, right? Where they hoard all of the decisions at the top, right? They just feel like they need to have the control. And so Fred um, is spending all of his time making a decision, one decision after the next, never has time to go heads down on really thinking about the vision or the board mandate, because he is just every decision's coming to him. And then finally, you know, Fred's leadership team comes to him and says, like, my gosh, Fred, you are a bottleneck, right? You're actually keeping us from being able to get decisions done. And of course, that's not Fred's intent. He's a well-meaning CEO. And so he starts to delegate decisions down and he starts to think about what does it mean to empower my managers? And they hum, hum along for a while. Um, But then a macroeconomic external situation changes, right? A competitor's coming up from behind. And suddenly Fred's 
snaps back all the power again and says, I have to make every decision. I have to approve every travel expense. And I have to make sure that everything comes by my desk before it happens. That's the problem, right? This isn't about doing it once and thinking yourself clever because you, you nailed it. It's actually about doing it continuously over time. And so you actually have to change the system. And then you've got to support managers in being able to make it happen. Not think about this as we delegated decisions, we're done. Yeah. It comes back so much back to mindset, doesn't it? And you know, as, as you were saying that, I was thinking of the tendency for a lot of executives to kind of grab onto power. And like one of the things we're seeing so much in the business news right now is this whole like return to office debate on like what does that look like in different organizations and who's coming in what days and and who's deciding that. And it's hard to know, like, because this is all so much in the news of where the numbers actually fall. But it, there's certainly some very visible examples of very senior leaders arbitrarily deciding what's going to work best. And it's interesting that I, I think here's an opportunity as a starting point of how do we actually involve middle managers in dialogue with this about teams and like what's going to work well for individual teams and how to, and what does that look like versus just kind of that edict from the top? Uh, a good starting point, I think, for a lot of a lot of senior folks. That's exactly right. And so much of it to the back to the point of, hey, how does the work get done? It's also about saying, how do managers with their teams determine what work they do when? And apparel company is a great example of this. They actually said, hey, let's not talk about the weeks, the days of the week that we're in the office, three days, four days, whatever. Let's actually talk about the development cycle of our new product line. And let's talk about when we need to come together because we're physically touching the product because it's safe to do so. And we no longer need to mail individuals the fabric to their home, right? When do we come together and we ideate, we brainstorm, we dream? And then when do we go off into our individual work? And so I think the reality is, is there's some value of in-person work. But I often hear I commuted to the office to work remotely, right? My team's not there. I put my headphones in. I get on the video calls all day. Not the best use of time. But if we think about back to this concept of rebundling jobs, well, think about rebundling the week, right? When even if, right, an, or a CEO says, hey, you got to come into the office three days a week, we're tracking, right? Then how about the manager then says, okay, what's the best work for my team to do together? Okay, we are going to be really focused on collaboration, highly creative activities. Uh, we're going to be focused on coaching and connection and community building, right? Um, and then when we're at home, call it Monday and Friday, we're going to be focused on the work that's best done asynchronously. We're going to go heads down on our individual deliverables. And we're going to keep meetings to a minimum, or we're going to really work with folks that actually don't sit in our office. I think really focusing on don't just come in to go work from home, if you will, right? But actually say, how do managers help them and their teams get the most out of it? I also think the other piece that's important is saying, even in a hybrid world where two to three days a week in the office is increasingly becoming the norm, how do managers help their teams think about 
flexibility, which is the most important thing to Gen Zers. And the second most important thing to millennials in why they would leave a job is that if there wasn't flexibility, how do we also create some flexibility, what I like to call on the fringes, right? So how do we, one, hold people accountable for outcomes, but two, really say, hey, we come together on Wednesdays for our highly collaborative sessions, right? We're at the whiteboard. We're working really closely together on sort of a big idea. But that doesn't mean that we all have to be in the office at precisely 8 a.m., 9 a.m., right? Maybe we have kid drop-off. Maybe there's a personal appointment. Maybe there's a meeting that we choose to take from home before the commute to wait for traffic to die down. And then we come to the office. Or maybe we have to leave early to sign off to go to a kid's soccer game, but we're going to be back online later uh, because we're going to get the work done and we're going to be held accountable for the outcome. And how can we give the power to the manager to create that environment for their teams where they feel like they have the autonomy to choose how the work gets done, not in a vacuum, right? It's This isn't every person for themselves, but within the context of the team and the work that they're driving. That gives people the agency to actually show up differently uh, in that in-person time to be able to drive the most value. We had Jim Harder on the show not that long ago from Gallup uh, on their new book, Culture Shock. And it's as you were talking to me, I was thinking like how much of what you were saying lines up just 100% with the research they're seeing too on all the survey data that that the tendency for a lot of organizations is not to do what you have just described, like of actually having the manager with individual teams deciding like what that return to work looks like and how we structure this for all the reasons you just articulated. And yet the organizations that do that show the highest engagement. Like it's the one we use the least and yet works the best, at least from what we know now. Uh, what a great nudge for all of us to like think about how we can begin to, as a starting point, I think, you know, our larger message is getting into the mindset of like, the talent, the perspective that middle managers have in so many organizations that the senior executives don't necessarily have. And if you can start there, it's huge. And I mean, it's one of the, there's so many invitations to this book. I mean, we're just scratching the surface. So I hope folks will will check this out and really dive in. I mean, especially if you're an executive or thinking about management as far as across your organization. I think it's a really wonderful place to start. Emily Field is co-author of Power to the Middle, Why Managers Hold the Keys to the Future of Work. Emily, thank you so much for your work. I appreciate it a ton. Thank you, Dave. Pleasure speaking with you. If this conversation was helpful to you, several related episodes I'd recommend. One of them is episode 554, How to Multiply Your Impact with Liz Wiseman. Liz, the author of Impact Players, also the best-selling book, Multipliers. That's what middle managers who are exceptional do so well, is they multiply talent throughout the organization. Liz's work, a wonderful catalyst for so many of us getting better at that. If you haven't followed her work before, I highly recommend it, and a great starting point is listening to episode 554. She's a great storyteller, too. A wonderful place to begin. Also recommended is episode 585, How Top Leaders Influence Great Teamwork. We talked in this conversation about what top leaders can do to support middle managers, but how to also create teamwork. I'm thinking about this conversation, not only a view from the top, but also because Scott Keller was my guest, also at McKinsey, 
that conversation got tons of traction. It's one of the most downloaded episodes we've had in the last couple of years. If you're looking for a way to influence teamwork across an organization, episode 585, a really good starting point for you. And then I'd also recommend the recent conversation with Jim Harder, episode 646, the questions to help figure out hybrid and remote work. We talked about what are the questions that leaders should be asking right now. And one of the big findings from Gallup's research recently is that leaders who are taking that decision team by team and asking for input on what decisions should we make or not around hybrid and remote rather than dictating it or just leaving it up to everyone to figure out on their own often are the leaders who are getting the best results and the most engagement. A lot more in the conversation on episode 646. All of those conversations you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. I'm inviting you to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. If you set up your free membership, you're going to get access to a whole bunch of benefits inside of the website. One of them is access to my interview and book notes. When I am reading books to prepare for conversations like this, I am often highlighting the key passages I think are critical, and then I am taking those highlights, I am utilizing them and all of my knowledge about the expert work and the research and putting together a bulleted plan of what I'm going to talk with guests about. All of that's available for download. My highlights and the bullet points, some of the things we hit on the conversation, some of the things we don't have time for, but I'm sharing those interview and book notes with you in almost every conversation. You can find those on the episode notes, and they're also all databased inside of the free membership. If you have your free membership set up already, go over to interview and book notes inside the free membership. You're going to see an alphabetical list of all of the books that we featured on the podcast over the last several years, links to them, and more importantly, the notes, uh, PDF notes of all of those you can download and get access to tons more detail. That is just one of a number of benefits inside of the free membership. So if you don't already have access, go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership, and maybe you've already been using those resources a bunch. And if that's the case, I'd invite you to find out more about Coaching for Leaders Plus, several enhanced benefits that you can gain through Coaching for Leaders Plus. One of them is topic guides. Many of you tell me that it's helpful at the end of these episodes to hear from me on what are two or three other recommended conversations. You can go and find those and utilize those to continue your learning. We are doing that even more substantially inside of Coaching for Leaders Plus through the topic guides. Topic guide is a very specific topic on something that you have a question about right now. And then I feature three or four past episodes, but in addition to just the episodes themselves, bullet points of what's most critical, reflection questions for you, plus a video for me overviewing the episodes, what I think is important, who I think you should be listening to on those topics. It's one of the key benefits inside of Coaching for Leaders Plus. If you'd like to find out more, just go over to coachingforleaders.plus. Coaching for Leaders is edited by Andrew Kroger. Production support is provided by Sierra Priest. And I will be back next week for our next conversation on Monday. Have a great week and see you back Monday. <laughs>